0: Welcome to This Week in the History of Psychology, for January 7th to 13th, and welcome to a new term. This is your host, Christopher Green of York University in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, we'll first take a brief look at some of the most important events that happened during This Week in Psychology's past. Then we'll have our future interview with Professor Robert H. Wozniak on the interrupted career of developmental psychologist James Mark Baldwin. Finally, we'll celebrate the birthdays of some important psychologists. All this and more on this installment of This Week in the History of Psychology. For January 7th, in 1946, the American Psychological Association's flagship journal, The American Psychologist, was first published. Dale Wolfe, then Executive Director of the APA, was the first editor. For January 8th, in 1885, the American Society for Psychical Research was founded. The First Council of the ASPR included psychologists William James, G. Stanley Hall, and George S. Fullerton. Also on January 8th, in 1890, William James's academic title at Harvard University was changed from Professor of Philosophy to Professor of Psychology. James had begun his career at Harvard as an instructor in Physiology. In 1897, his title would revert back to Professor of Philosophy. For January 9th, in 1932, Edward C. Tolman's book, Purpose of Behavior in Animals and Men, was published. The book explained Tolman's blend of cognitive and behavioral psychology. Also on January 9, 1937, the first published report of insulin shock therapy for schizophrenia in an American hospital appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Julius Steinfeld was the author. For January 11, in 1890, the first psychological laboratory in the British Empire was founded at the University of Toronto by James Mark Baldwin. Unfortunately, the building that housed the laboratory burned down little more than a month later. Baldwin was at Toronto from 1889 to 1893. For January 12th, in 1844, Dorothea Dix submitted a memorial to the New York State Legislature, the second of many such documents in her International Crusade for improved treatment conditions for people with mental illness. The first had been submitted to the Massachusetts Legislature in 1843. Also, for January 12th, in 1959, Volume 1 of Sigmund Koch's series, Psychology, a Study of a Science, was published. The six-volume series, published between 1959 and 1963, contained first-person accounts by many of the major players of mid-20th century psychology. And finally, for January 13th in 1965, unable to sleep in the early morning, Fred Keller planned the teaching technique later called the personalized system of instruction. The first classroom trials began on February 10th, 1965. January 12th, 1861 was the birth date of one of America's most influential yet now least known psychologists, James Mark Baldwin founded three experimental psychology laboratories. He participated in the founding of Psychological Review, Psychological Bulletin, and Psychological Index, and he also participated in the founding of the American Psychological Association. All the while, he produced a theory of evolutionary change that is still discussed today, and a stage-wise theory of child development that later strongly influenced the work of Jean Piaget. In a 1903 survey of psychologists, he was rated as the fifth most important psychologist in America, behind only William James, James McKean Cattell, Hugo Munsterberg, and G. Stanley Hall. Yet Baldwin's name is known only to a handful of psychologists today because his career was interrupted by scandal and disgrace. Here to talk to us about Baldwin is Dr. Robert H. Wozniak of Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania. Professor Wozniak is working on a biography of Baldwin. He is the editor of several reprint series published by Thomas Press, and is the author of Metaphysics and Science, Reason and Reality, The Intellectual Origins of Genetic Epistemology, which is a chapter in J. Broton and D.J. Freeman Moyer's book, The Cognitive Developmental Psychology of James Mark Baldwin, published by Ablex in 1982. Professor Wozniak, Many of our listeners um, may not be familiar with Baldwin's main intellectual achievements, so could you first tell us a bit about his theory of intellectual development and and perhaps touch on the influence it had on the much better-known theory of Jean Piaget? I think
1: if I had to list Baldwin's main accomplishments, I'd probably uh, include about nine things. (laughs) That seems like a large number, but he was a pretty accomplished guy. Uh, In the period between 1889 and 1894, uh, he carried out psychology's first really well-controlled experimental studies of infant behavior. Uh, the second thing, and maybe in, in, in many ways the most important thing, is that after he got to Princeton around 1894, he started work uh, on a theory of development which appeared in two books, uh, Mental Development of the Child and the Race in 1895 and Social and Ethical Interpretations in Mental Development in 1897. Which did something um, that was pretty unique for the period, and to be honest, I think is still unique. That is to say, he actually developed a theory of mind, which was sort of biosocial. It made use of evolutionary principles of mind, but it also focused on social cultural aspects of mind, and. Uh, One of the reasons I think is especially important is because even contemporary psychologists have a tremendous amount of difficulty in thinking simultaneously about both the biology of the mind and the sociality of the mind. And indeed, uh, since one of the points of your question was to ask about his relationship to Piaget, if you take not only Piaget, but his... his, uh, his uh, contemporary, uh, contemporary theorist, uh, Lev Vygotsky, the Soviet psychologist, um, they sort of split, in a sense, exactly what Baldwin was able to bring together, Piaget having a biological theory of the mind and Vygotsky a sociocultural theory of the mind, and yet you know, So it's very hard for us to think simultaneously in terms of both of those uh, the, those frameworks, and yet here's Baldwin way back in the late 19th century, and he's doing it, and he's doing it remarkably well. Another characteristic that I think uh, makes him fairly unique is that his theoretical orientation was probably more complex and more sophisticated than anything that had preceded it in psychology uh, to that day. Um, James was in some ways the greater psychologist and certainly the far greater writer, but James' theory, although extraordinarily um, uh, fertile, it's not what I would call a complex theory, the way Piaget's theory is complex, for example, or the way Baldwin's theory is complex. So that, that for the period, was fairly unique. Uh, another thing that makes Baldwin uh, unusual is the incredible range of topics that he analyzed. Uh, he looked at the relationship between thought and reality. He looked at the genesis of logic. He actually has a little theory of learning. He looked at uh, the development of habit, imitation, creativity, altruism, and egoism in kids, morality, and Lawrence Kohlberg in his famous theory of morality made heavy use of some of Baldwin's work. Uh, he looked at self-awareness. He was the first person, to, as far as I've been able to determine, to actually uh, specifically address the question of theory of mind, and and this, of course, is where he comes in his relationship to Vygotsky, His theory is a theory of enculturation. It's a theory of how children become like-minded with those around them, and that's not something that at the time anybody else was paying any attention to. Another sort of a fifth thing is that he developed concepts which became very fundamental uh, in sociology and social psychology in uh, an approach that came eventually to be called symbolic interactionism. It was made famous by George Herbert Mead. We cited Baldwin actually fairly extensively in his early papers, but not his later papers uh, for reasons that we may get to later. Concepts like the multiplicity of self, for example, differences between real and ideal selves, uh, factors influencing self-esteem. All of these were ideas that got taken up, assimilated really, to symbolic interactionism, often without direct reference to him vis-à-vis Piaget, he gave uh, psychology both terms and concepts. These were terms which were available in the evolutionary literature, but they hadn't been used by psychology, such as assimilation, accommodation. He invented, as far as I know, the phrase primary circular reaction, although it picks up on something that Alexander Bain had written many years before. Uh, He uh, used the term genetic logic, and indeed, he he used the term genetic epistemology. He actually wrote a genetic epistemology in the Piagetian sense. Now, that's not to say, by the way, and I just have to mention this because that's important, that Piaget was in any way um, derived. Uh, Piaget took these concepts of Baldwin and took them much, 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 much further than Baldwin did, both theoretically and even more empirically, because that was one of the limitations of Baldwin's work. Uh, but it is to say that Baldwin did, in fact, have some influence but is in, on, on contemporary developmental psychology, but his influence came sort of through Piaget. Um, a couple of other things he did that are also really important. Um, he edited a three-volume dictionary of philosophy and psychology, uh, which brought together uh, 50 of the greatest minds of the day. The eighth thing I think I would list is that he... Uh, articulated with a man named Henry Fairfield Osborne, who uh, became an important curator eventually at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and uh, Connelly Lloyd Morgan, who was um, uh, a very important British animal psychologist uh, and really sort of even broader psychologist and emergentist, emergent theorist eventually. He articulated a a, a concept which he called organic selection. and it, it had v- several different manifestations in his own writing. The sort of the, the, the in, in its most well-developed form, the basic idea was that it would be possible to integrate a kind of lock-in idea that um, behaviors that individual animals acquire in the course of their own personal experience, adaptive behaviors, um, actually uh, can become eventually hereditary variations and the way in which that occurs from Baldwin's point of view is that what those uh... adaptive behaviors do um, is they differentially increase the survival rate of the organism and therefore the probability that they're going to procreate. Um, and if they happen to be born with hereditary variations that favor those acquisitions, that is, if you think about any particular characteristic, if uh, there's going to be a wide range of, of the ways in which that characteristic is expressed in the population, and if those animals with, uh, that have more of that characteristic or more of a propensity to that characteristic then acquire these behaviors, they will be more likely to survive, more likely to procreate, and therefore those genes, the genes that are in that direction, will be passed down to the next generation, and over evolutionary time and over populations of organisms, therefore these acquired adaptations can, in effect, become congenital. And if you were to put James Mark Baldwin in quotes into Google right now, you would find lots and lots of references to this idea, which has become called the Baldwin Effect, not because of evolutionary biology but because of computer science. One of the things that's happened in computer science in the last ten years is that there's been a tremendous growth in of interest in evolutionary systems and genetic algorithms and uh, this idea uh, that Baldwin had, the Baldwin effect, has actually been embodied in many of the uh programs that express genetic algorithms. And then the last thing I would I would list is his um, APA Presidential Address of 1897, uh, where he took the idea of variation with selection um, from natural selectionist accounts of evolution and attempted to apply it to thinking. Uh, and that paper is often viewed as a kind of milestone in what has become known in philosophy and in some uh, branches of psychology as evolutionary epistemology.
0: Wow, that's uh, he's obviously a, a major figure. Um, what was uh, his background then? Uh, where was he educated and what were his early interests?
1: Um, Well, he was born, first of all, in Columbia, South Carolina in 1861 on January 12th. And this, as uh, everyone knows, 1861 is the midst of the Civil War. Uh, His family was very well regarded uh, in Columbia and well liked, but they were Yankees. They had come from New York and Connecticut originally. And so uh, when the war really started to heat up, they uh, went north. After the war, they went back to Columbia, and Baldwin went to grade school in Columbia. And one very interesting aspect of this is he attended the same school in Columbia as uh, Woodrow Wilson. Um, Although Wilson was a couple of years older than Baldwin, and we don't know whether or not he really knew Wilson or how well he knew Wilson at that time, but it's of interest um, because his relationships with Wilson later on were anything but positive after he finished grade school, he worked for a couple of years, and then his family sent him north to Salem, New Jersey to a preparatory school. I think school might be a little strong. I think it was a case of three or four students living in the house that was run by his uncle by marriage. They must have done a good job because uh, after, uh, uh, after being with his uncle for two years uh, he entered Princeton in 1881 as a sophomore and he graduated with his bachelor's degree in 1884. After he left Princeton he received a fellowship called the Green Fellowship in Mental Science. that gave him the opportunity to spend a year in Europe and he went to Wundt at Leipzig and he spent a portion of the semester uh, in Leipzig hanging out around the laboratory. He didn't do any research himself, but he certainly learned about things that were going on. He became, uh, that was his first um, meeting with Cattell. They used to play tennis together. And uh, then he went to um, Berlin, and he did spend, as far as I've been able to determine, a whole semester there uh, working with a very famous um, uh, German philosopher named Friedrich Paulsen uh, and studying Spinoza under Paulsen when he came back to princeton in eighteen eighty five uh... he spent uh, a year as an instructor in french and german um, and during that period he um... translated uh... Rebo's german psychology of today uh... into into english um... he also published his first actual uh, scholarly paper, which is called the Postulates of the Physiological Psychology.
0: Mm-hmm. So so after he gets his, his PhD at Princeton, he, he does brief stints teaching at uh, Lake Forest College near Chicago, and then at the University of Toronto, where he founds uh, his first experimental psychology laboratory. Um, but then Baldwin was called to a position as alma mater of Princeton in 1893, and among his considerable achievements during this period were were that he was an important framer of the disciplinary institutions of psychology, as well as the intellectual work you talked about before. Is, is that right?
1: In fact, this was the period, really, in which psychology professionalized, in the sense that it was the period where journals were being founded, where societies were being founded, uh, where people began to think of themselves as having an identity of psychologist rather than... Uh, philosopher interested in the mind, for example, and Baldwin was one of the major figures in that regard. Um, you already mentioned that he, he founded a laboratory at the University of Toronto, but he also founded a laboratory at Princeton, and when he eventually went to Johns Hawkins, he resuscitated uh, G. Stanley Hall's Laps Laboratory there as well, so he was one of the people who uh, in the forefront of the, sending the message to college presidents and those in charge of budgets, hey, psychology is becoming a science or, or it has scientific techniques. It needs laboratories. Laboratories mean funding. Uh, they mean laboratory assistance. And they give the discipline uh, an institutional niche, which they wouldn't otherwise have had. And Baldwin thought that was extremely important. He also was the founder of journals. He co-founded the Psychological Review with James McKean Cattell. Um, it was the second major American journal. He also founded the Psychological Bulletin, which was a, a, a journal that specialized in reviews, basically, review articles and reviews of books. And he also um, was responsible for starting uh, the Psychological Index, which eventually became the Psychological Abstracts, which eventually became something that. Almost all students of psychology know today as Psych Info. Uh, he was also president of APA, but that's not so big a deal because, quite frankly, APA was very small, and practically all of the first uh, couple of generations of. A major American psychologist at one time or another served as president of APA But he was also the founding president of the Southern Society for Philosophy and Psychology
0: So after about a decade at Princeton um, He he left for this post at Johns Hopkins that you've mentioned a couple of times where he reestablished uh, G. Stanley Hall's old psychology laboratory um, Why did he d- decide to leave Princeton and what did he achieve while he was at Hopkins? Well, the
1: simple answer uh, to that question is that Hopkins made him an offer that was too good to turn down. Uh, They gave him a very prestigious chair. Uh, They gave him a huge salary increase. Uh, They gave him funds to establish, uh, reestablish the Department of Philosophy, but really establish it as a new Department of Philosophy and Psychology. At that time, Hopkins was an exclusively graduate institution, and what that did is it freed Baldwin from any undergraduate teaching, which he had come to find uh, burdensome, and it gave him access to what were then, I'd say, the best graduate students in the country. The other reason is that um, he was extremely dissatisfied with a turn of events that had taken place in Princeton uh, just prior to his departure. And that turn of events was the uh, appointment election of Woodrow Wilson to be uh, president of Princeton. Um, Baldwin and Wilson did not get along at Princeton, but it wasn't just that. I think Baldwin could have tolerated a president that he didn't like. It's that Baldwin considered Wilson to be anti-scientific, and indeed if you look at some of the speeches that, Bo- that Wilson gave at Princeton during that period, uh, he's very critical of the sciences. He was very much a humanist. He was himself a historian, of course, as everyone probably knows, um, and he... Uh, stress the importance of the humanities and uh, de-stress the importance of the sciences. And I think Baldwin felt that there was handwriting on the wall here that the funding for psychology and the importance of psychology in the global scheme of things at Princeton uh, was uh, on the downward trend and it was time for him, him to leave.
0: And then in 1908, uh, Baldwin was arrested in a Baltimore brothel, and his academic career, at least in America, came to a rather speedy conclusion. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about that scandal and how Baldwin's life unfolded afterwards?
1: Well, uh, uh, I can tell you what I know.
0: Uh, The reality is that we actually don't know very much about
1: the scandal. He seems to have been present in a... uh, a uh, Baltimore brothel, as you've said, um, just uh, before the police showed up. I have not been able to find out that he was truly arrested in the sense that we normally think of arrest—that is, uh, put in handcuffs and taken down to the station. In fact, that does not seem to be what happened. What seems to have happened is that he was sent home, which. Wasn't wouldn't have been surprising in that period. I mean, you know, Baltimore was still a quasi-southern city, and at that time, in a quasi-southern city, a uh, important, well-known, uh, affluent, white male uh, who was found in a house of prostitution probably would have been sent home, um, and that might have been the end of it, uh, except for the fact that Baldwin was on the short list. To be appointed by the mayor to the school board. That list had already been, in fact, announced in the newspaper. And apparently, uh, although I don't know the specifics of this yet and have not been able to pin it down, apparently. Uh, Newspaper reporters got wind of the fact that someone who was going to be appointed to the school board, or might be appointed to the school board, had been arrested in a house of prostitution, and they were quite concerned about that. And that's when the scandal broke. That wasn't actually until 1909. It took a while for all of this to unfold. And when the scandal itself broke, when this became public, um, the Board of Trustees, and in particular the head of the Board of Trustees, put pressure on the president of Hopkins. Um, a chemist by the name of Ira Remsen to ask for Baldwin's resignation. And Baldwin uh, always claimed that he was innocent, uh, innocent of any obvious intent and approval, that he didn't realize that that's what it was. He referred to it as a social club. He claimed that he didn't go there for the obvious reasons, that he was uh, trapped uh, inadvertently, um, and uh, that he resigned, which he did do, uh, at Hopkins uh, for the sake of his family. He had two daughters and his wife, of course, and that he wanted to save them the embarrassment of the scandal becoming really, really public. In the years between the resignation, 1909 and 1912, he divided his time between Mexico and Paris. Um, he always claimed that, um, in fact, he claimed in, in, in the press when he resigned as a kind of cover story that the reason he was resigning was because Mexico had uh, appointed him to be uh, an advisor to the president on the restructuring of education in Mexico. In fact, that doesn't actually seem to be quite the case. That's a bit of an overstatement. He was uh, asked to uh, consult um, at, with the Government, but that seems to have been a very kind of minor sort of uh, relationship. When he was in Mexico, he was in Paris, and in fact, in 1910, he was elected to succeed William James after James died as correspondent, uh, corresponding member, essentially, of the Academy of Moral and Political Sciences in the Institute of de France. That's a very prestigious uh, thing. Uh, we don't, I don't think, we fully appreciate. Uh, uh, as North Americans, just how prestigious uh, it still is, actually, but was in those days. After the outbreak of World War One, but before the Americans entered World War I uh, on behalf of the Allies, Baldwin uh, devoted himself to trying to get the U.S. involved in the war. Um, as probably some of your uh, listeners know, Woodrow Wilson was... Uh, extraordinarily slow, and this is one of the things about Wilson that Baldwin really, really despised. He couldn't make up his mind. He wanted to remain neutral. He, he, despite the fact that um, uh, even after the sinking of the Lusitania, for example, by the German Navy, Wilson was still dragging his feet about whether the United States should enter the war, and Baldwin uh, dedicated himself to a kind of public relations campaign on behalf of the French uh, in favor of the uh, uh, American entrance, and uh, this is all before he survived um, with his wife and daughter, although his daughter was crippled permanently as a result of this, a torpedo attack by a German submarine on a French, unarmed French passenger liner called uh, the Sussex as it was crossing the English Channel. When Baldwin finally got back to France, he sent a telegram to Wilson regarding the affair and the shame that the United States would allow these sorts of things to happen without getting involved uh, in the war. He was eventually awarded the Legion of Honor by the French government. He's you know, it's, it's an interesting person in that here's this guy who was a tremendously important intellectual who loses his position in the academy and then turns all of his very formidable talents in
0: uh, a political direction. All right, well, thank you very much for this today. We have been speaking with Professor Robert H. Wozniak of Bryn Mawr College um, about the life and career of James Mark Baldwin. Professor Wozniak is working on a biography of Baldwin, and he is also the editor of several reprint series published by Toymus Press. And he's also the author of a chapter entitled Metaphysics and Science, Reason and Reality, the Intellectual Origins of Genetic Epistemology, which appears in J. Broughton and D.J. Freeman Moyer's book, The Cognitive Developmental Psychology of James Mark Baldwin, published by Ablex in 1982. My interview with Professor Wozniak was actually uh, quite a bit longer than that uh, version there. Um, And I will post the uh, complete interview as a uh, separate file um, on the website. One of the things we didn't get to talk about in this version is uh, Baldwin's relationship with John B. Watson. Baldwin hired Watson, who was then a, uh, an assistant at University of Chicago, to uh, Johns Hopkins University in 1908, um, and then the scandal broke and Baldwin resigned, leaving Watson in charge of the department and in charge of the journals, including Psychological Review, in which just four years later he would publish his uh, psychology as the behaviorist views it, the, what is usually called the manifesto of the behaviorist revolution in psychology. Of course, Watson himself would become the victim of scandal in around 1920 and be forced to resign his position at Johns Hopkins as well. And now it's time for birthdays. First, for January 8th, in 1902, Carl Rogers was born. Rogers pioneered non-directive or client-centered therapy, which was based on the principles of humanistic psychology. He was American Psychological Association president in 1947 for January 9th, in 1878, John Broadus Watson was born. Watson defined psychology as a scientific study of behavior rejecting all reference to conscious experience and other traditional forms of mentality. He was American Psychological Association president in 1915. Also on January 9th, in 1886, Edward R. Guthrie was born. Guthrie's associationist theory of learning relied solely on contiguity of stimulus and response to formed learned sets in one learning trial. He was American Psychological Association president in 1945. And also on January 9th, in 1932, Elliot Aronson was born. Aronson's work in social psychology included studies of cognitive dissonance, developing a method for reducing racial prejudice, and co-editing two editions of the Handbook of Social Psychology. For January 11th in 1842, William James was born. James was, of course, one of the most important early American psychologists, founded the first Demonstration Laboratory of Psychology in 1875, and wrote the classic textbook Principles of Psychology. He was American Psychological Association President in both 1894 and 1904. Also born on January 11th, but in 1867, was Edward Bradford Titchener. Titchener's school of psychology, which he called structuralism, sought to systematically analyze mental experience through introspection. And finally, on January 12th in 1896, David Wexler was born. Wexler was the developer of the dominant intelligence tests on the market today, the WACE and the WISC. And that's it for this episode of This Week in the History of Psychology. We would love to hear your comments on the show. You can email us at twithop, that's the initials of This Week in the History of Psychology, T-W-I-T-H-O-P at yorku, Y-O-R-K-U, dot C-A. We would like to thank York University for hosting the program, as well as Michael Guimar for his technical assistance, and especially Warren Street and the American Psychological Association for their website, Today in the History of Psychology, which we use for research and from which we sometimes quote directly. This week in the history of psychology is the sole property of Christopher Green. The opinions expressed on this week in the history of psychology are not necessarily those of Christopher Green or of York University.